Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONECURCITYCAST20. Portland and bicycling are synonymous. I mean, we're repeatedly crowned the most bike-friendly city in the United States. So it's disorienting to hear the Portland Bureau of Transportation report that bike ridership dropped by almost 35% between 2019 and 2022. Now, some think the decline in cycling is due to the pandemic or safety concerns related to roads crowded by tents or too many cars. But Jonathan Moss, editor of Bike Portland, believes our city gave up on biking nearly a decade ago for reasons beyond safety. So today on CityCast Portland, we're talking with Jonathan about why Portlanders are biking less and what it's going to take to get those ridership numbers back up again. It's Tuesday, April 4th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Jonathan, what do you have to say when people are thinking that the decline in biking is because of the recent concerns of, you know, street safety and, you know, just basically the pedestrian deaths that we're hearing about? I would just look at the numbers. You know, it's since 2014, started with like a slight plateau. No one really looked too much at them. I thought maybe it was an aberration, but 15, 16, 2017, the biking counts from the city started to go down. Uh, the commute rate that the U.S. Census Bureau tallies started to go down. So before this more recent, these more recent crises or whatever you want to call them, uh, mm-hmm. and especially before the COVID stuff and the work from home stuff, the biking rates were going down before that. Yeah. And it's interesting because some of your articles have pointed that PBOT, Portland Bureau of Transportation, stop releasing its annual numbers on bike ridership in 2014 up until when it announced like, hey, there's a huge decline. What's up with that? It is a little bit interesting that right as the decline started, really, uh, the count report stopped coming out. And the city of Portland actually put out their count report. And I just find that somewhat interesting given that, uh, I mean, I know that the Portland Bureau of Transportation is very, I mean, like any government agency, they're very averse to bad news and it's maybe a little embarrassing for them. So maybe, you know, the urgency to get that report out wasn't the same. I've actually asked them about it and haven't heard back. I've heard from some sources that there may be something where it just fell through the crack in terms of like the staffing and the resources to get the bike count report done. I think it's actually more unfortunate than just kind of like a tiny little thing that we're just touching on where Part of understanding how to deal with this is for people to have actually the hard news of what's going on. Yeah. I mean, that lends itself to accountability and also, you know, creating change if you know something's not heading the way it should be. Yeah. And it's a bummer they didn't get that count report out because, you know, we've been beating around the bush kind of talking about it in hushed tones or whatever for many years now. But it's taken this report, right, to actually like get me on this show with you all and like, you know, get it in the news and actually, so now I'm actually glad now we can start to process and kind of move forward. 
I mean, your organization, your website is a cornerstone of a lot of people's, you know, reality of what cycling is in Portland. And it's just interesting that you guys have noticed that trend. To be honest, it was news to me. Like when I heard about hmm. it, I was like, what? Are you serious? Like, because I bike, so I think everyone's biking, you know? Yeah. How did you figure that out? First of all, I think it's common for folks like you to, to think that, right? Because Portland's brand around cycling is so strong. Like we can mm -hmm. just survive on the fumes for for a while, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, and that's just how it's been. A lot of the reason like that I first started to notice it was having to do with like politics and just vibe shift really, which mm. unless you look at a community and you look at a specific scene really closely, like I do, you may not really sense that, right? So we actually did a story in 2014. It was an op-ed that basically said, something has gone wrong in Portland. And the whole entire story was framed around when they painted over this huge mural downtown, right by Dante's, there was a big mural that said, uh, America's bicycling capital, mm -hmm. right? And we'd already sensed the shift in vibe from like City Hall and other places and advocacy groups around cycling. And so it was like this amazing, like illustration of something that was literally happening. The fact that like the political champions kind of had moved on and we never really replaced like having a major political champion like we'd had up until like 2012. But just in terms of like being someone who works on Bike Portland, we hear a lot of, from people every day. So the anecdotal stuff really started pouring in, right? A lot of it was fueled from when a lot of the encampment started. So like the first time we had a really big homeless encampment was on the Springwater. I don't know if you remember, but when Charlie Hales was mayor, yeah, uh, in the was, corridor? Yeah, on Springwater Corridor out by like, you know, 82nd or so. Yeah. So that began, I mean, I'm constantly getting messages and emails, all sorts of stuff. People leaving comments on the site saying, hey, yeah, I just don't, I don't feel safe biking here, there, on mm -hmm. this path or that path anymore because uh, people are sleeping over there and doing other things. And uh, there's just so many different layers to this issue. Uh, and we've basically been just stewing in them for 10 years. And they've all reached a yeah. pass now with this count report and really come to a head. Could you like list off like oh, yeah. what you think has started uh, the decline aside from uh, the city and I guess transpo advocates possibly shifting their focus elsewhere? Yeah, that's a big piece of it, right? So like there's also just some major like demographic shifts that people are talking about that may be a reason. Like when mm -hmm. it was a smaller city back in say, however you want to call them, like, you know, the old days is what I say, whatever, before a lot of wealthier people moved here, right? So mm -hmm. a lot of the things that fueled the cultural components and even the statistics that made Portland such a leader in cycling were by people who lived in inner Northeast and inner Southeast Portland, right? These were younger people. They didn't have too much money, but they had, you know, the ability to ride their bikes and their destinations were close, right? Their circles were small. Biking made a lot of sense. There was this whole culture around it, this whole thing. So obviously what happened as the years go on, 2010, 2012, 2014, right? Everybody starts moving to Portland. I mean, there was a whole freaking Portlandia show about it, right? Like this was the city everybody came to. And guess what? Obviously everybody knows that that increased housing prices, right? So, mm -hmm. and a lot of these folks that kind of, I think in a lot of ways fueled a lot of Portland's rise in cycling, they ended up moving out of those inner neighborhoods. They started getting pushed out. They, they started getting pushed out further away. And then, so that's like a double whammy. So when you move further away, all of a sudden your trip distances become longer. So cycling doesn't compete as well for driving, yeah. right? Some of the people that probably moved into those close in neighborhoods didn't really appreciate that cycling culture, didn't have that in sort of their DNA, right? Like maybe they moved from places that nobody really rode bikes, right? So what did they do? They drove their cars more, right? So you have an erosion of people who are going to be sort of like have a strong predilection toward doing cycling, let's say. You know, another big piece of it that, that we hear, we're hearing a lot about is just people's, you know, the lack of enforcement on the road and just the sense that drivers have gotten increasingly distracted. I mean, that's another thing that's like, I feel like now reaching a boil, right? So you combine 
this epidemic of distracted driving, combine it with what's happened in the last three years or so where you have the police going out and telling the public that they're no longer enforcing traffic laws. That has been another aspect of it is just this general sense that public safety is not what it used to be. People feel more vulnerable out there. And as a bike rider, you feel vulnerable even in the best of times. And in these times, it has been accentuated an awful lot. It's all kind of formulating now in my head like, oh yeah, because the bike culture isn't as strong, the city isn't going to be as responsive, you know, and, um, but also when they did try, like, I mean, I was there with, North Williams was basically my main route um, if I wanted to avoid the hill. And yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, and like, I remember when it changed and I was just like, is this more dangerous? Did it just get more daily, you know, like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that project is another touchstone around that same time, 2013, 2014, where it's one another reason why a lot of local bureaucrats, policymakers, elected official types started to kind of walk away from cycling, right? So they, I think that's one of the key things that's happened. Not only did the cultural part sort of erode a little bit, and it's hard to know chicken and egg, but also people in positions of power stopped being confident about talking about cycling right? In part because of things like Williams, when people stood up and said, hey, this bike lane is is another symbol of the racism and gentrification that's hurt our neighborhood for too long, right? I mean, obviously that's a really potent political message that really shocked a lot of people at City Hall in the Portland building and Peabot. They really kind of began to get scared of cycling and not just them, but also advocacy groups and advocates started to mm. walk away from cycling. And we're, we're in 10 years now into this thing this vibe shift, like I was talking about mm -hmm. for all these different reasons. I mean, Ferguson was 2014, right? So it was this increased understanding that like the way we plan cities is broken, right? And there was a lot of part of that narrative in the transportation circles that bicycling in particular was too white, too male, too privileged, right? And so that really seeped in and became pervasive thinking within the advocacy culture. And so you saw this like re recession from putting bikes first in anything. Like there, you know, when, when the Williams project started, it wasn't called the the North Williams Traffic Safety and Operations Project. It was called the Williams Bikeway Project, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like neighborhood greenways used to be called bike boulevards. Like the street trust right. used to be called the Bicycle Transportation Alliance. Oh, so you're saying they started rebranding so they're able to do these projects. Everything was rebranded. You had commissioner after commissioner come in and not even really ever discuss or really talk about biking in like a strong way like it had been previously, right? It, around 2013, 2014 is also when the city of Portland started to go out and ask for the, the local gas tax increase. And they were really afraid that Portlanders would, a lot of Portlanders would not necessarily vote for that if it was going to those damn bike lanes and those darn cyclists that I don't mm -hmm. like, right? So it was really tricky for me to be like, no, we need to put bikes front and center. Cause like I said, there are some major crises going on. We're talking racial justice, housing, all these things were big in Portland. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't, I wasn't gonna be the one. I mean, you can see how I look. I certainly didn't wanna be the one to go downtown and say, I'll say, hey, everybody, you're forgetting about cycling, right? Yeah. So I kept quiet too. And so was now- Was that your white man voice? Cause it was yeah. great. Yeah, was I have to go into that. I have yeah. to go into that. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's like, so yeah. it, it was complicated. I, I didn't wanna go and say, hey, we're messing up. Like put bikes, and I get it. Like you don't wanna always lead with bikes. I get it, but there's a nuance there, but we can't be afraid to talk about cycling and put cycling first. We just have to know how to do it in a way that's like more sensitive and more honest and authentic with people because- I think when you do it that way, a vast majority of Portlanders is going to say, heck yeah, let's do this. Let's make our city a more beautiful place because it works. Everything about Portland works better if there's more people riding bikes. That's just like a fact. That's not even an opinion. Yeah. 
It's true. I also just feel like, because uh, they're just all about inclusivity and DEI and all this stuff, but they just, they're not wrapping that around biking. And that's really interesting. And so what that does is that it basically implies that cycling then is not all those things, right? Or is yeah. all those things, depending on what you're talking about. And that it has, yes, that has been a big, a big mistake is that they're just afraid. Yeah. As a person of color who's been in the Northwest for like over 20 years, cycling is not white. If anything, cycling well, was always like the choice of immigrant riders because that they that's all they could afford. And like, that's to be honest, that was the biggest push is to make it safe for lower income people to get to work, you know? Yeah. And that's another reason why I reject that framing. I'm not saying that it's not a valid point we should talk about, obviously, because the scene itself can be very white if you talk about the scene. Yeah, for sure. But when you lead with that framing, you're basically like erasing that fact. Exactly. You're erasing bicyclists of color that <laughs> have always been there, will always yeah. be there, want to be there more, you know, a lot of time. And it's just like, it's a matter of how you present that, how you frame that, how you talk about that. Right. So mm -hmm. that's what I think we need to get a lot better at. All right, let's take a quick break here. And when we return, a look back into what Portland bike culture used to be. So let me just give you my personal experience from like what I have seen being here. I mean, I don't know how long you've been here. I've been here since like 2006. So not like since the 90s, which is mm -hmm. a lot of my older friends have been here since the 90s. And they're the ones who I feel really helped start this bike culture. I mean, there were like entire music scenes based around riding your, your bike. Yeah. I was in a band that was all about riding your bike, <laughs> you know, like. I, I just can't, I'm just sitting here grinning because I'm like, the, the fact that you're the one who brought this up and like not the first, like I've been like, yeah, I, I absolutely, yeah, totally, totally. The bike culture piece of this is like so big, but yeah. It's a big deal. And maybe it was like, at one it's point huge. it was like, it was cool to ride your bike. And like, maybe that, that piece of like social structure of just sort of making us accountable to a lifestyle that we were like, yeah, this is way better than driving cars has been kind of dying. Like maybe we need to start more bands, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, yeah, like I, 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 yeah, I totally hear that. And I've, I've actually struggled a lot with like how much of a deal to make about that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like obviously like I moved here, I moved to Portland similar time as you did. I moved here in 2004. One of the biggest reasons I've devoted most of my like all of my adult professional life to covering this bike scene here is because I was so fired up about the cool people and cool stuff that was going on on the street, right? Mm -hmm. Just like you said, there was a tall bike band that did a tour one summer, like just yeah. wild stuff, right? Like, and the list goes on. We had a mini bike dance troupe, you know, the Zoo Bombers were on BBC America. Like well, there's a statue downtown of the Zoo Bomb pile that is like a public art sculpture that was yeah. like- Yeah, I mean, do you remember the Sprockets? Absolutely. I realized that like you and I are talking some inside baseball. Could you explain the amazingness that was the Sprockets? The Sprockets were an all-female mini bike dance team. <laughs> so Yeah, and, and it was all pink and black, mostly pink. And they had these little kids bikes and they would do performances all over town. They, were, they had a calendar for like several years. They were the coolest group of ladies. And actually they- if anybody's interested, they still get together. A lot of them still know each other. My wife was one of the dancers, so I know that they keep in touch, which is awesome. But they were actually, I mean, they were only formed as a response to the Zoo Bombers, which was a bunch of people that took mini bikes to the top of Washington Park and bombed down the hills, which they were pissed because so many of them were guys and they wanted to get away from the bro culture on the hill. So they're like, let's do something with us ladies. And then they created the Sprockets. And at a time that wasn't just the Sprockets, there were several bike dance troops in town mm -hmm. simultaneously. There was even like a little summit of them it is it was just the wildest most fun time and so like i don't think we're going to get back to that because you know 
all those people are now older. A lot of them have kids. They've moved away. Those groups are no longer as vibrant or vital as they used to be. And there was a time where I really kind of mourned that in a way because I was so mm -hmm. close to it. Uh, people, people underestimate, I think, the impact of that sort of cultural inertia and how it contributed to whether or not people would bike or not. And I've been reading lots and lots of comments and feedback in the last two weeks since the account report came out. And definitely I've heard some people pick up on that. I was reading something from a woman who was saying how she used to do a lot of work at PSU with younger people. And she could remember when they would move to Portland, they, it would just basically be a thing. They would go to like the community cycling center or whatever, and they'd buy a used bike because that's just what you're expected to do. Like that's that's what we did here, right? Um, mm -hmm. And she's she's actually noticed over the years that that has become less and less of a thing. The reason why I was kind of like struggling with how to talk about the the sort of loss of some of that culture is like the way I see culture happening like this is it is special when it happens, right? It's a moment in time. Mm -hmm. And uh, when when the Sprockets had their final performance, you know, I was there. I couldn't even cover it because I was like too just kind of like distraught might be too hard of a word, but that group yeah. meant so much to me. But now I, I realize there's a lot of really cool things and groups happening, you know, out there, like new groups that have formed even in the last few years, actually. Uh, so there's still a lot of happening, really fun, exciting, creative, vibrant bike culture. Who are they? Have you have you heard of, of their name? <laughs> like, please yeah. name them. I have not. <laughs> and it may not be, you know, it may not be a, a mini bike dance team, uh, but there there's certainly like groups that are getting together. There's like Naked Hearts PDX is a group that's been putting on really fun rides all through winter. Like kudos to mm -hmm. them, like, you know, freezing rain and darkness. They're out there pulling this cool trailer full, full of tunes and people are having a really good time. The Lads 500 is coming up in April. That thing is, has stood the test of time. Last year, it was amazing. Hundreds and hundreds of people came out to that. Um, Pedalpalooza or now it's sort of becoming called Bike Summer. That mm -hmm. thing is healthier than ever. Last year was probably the best one. It was three yeah. months, three months of bike events. It's like unprecedented. Do you remember? And I don't know if it was Pedalpalooza or not. Where uh, there was a uh, there was the Bowie and Prince bike ride <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and everyone dressed up like Bowie or Prince, and there was just blasting tunes. And it was like a train of them. There were so many of them. Yeah, there were two groups. They came from different parts of the city. And then there was like this showdown in the <laughs> street. showdown in the middle between yeah. Bowie and Prince Riders. And it's, and that's the part I'm like, and that's the Portland I want to get back exactly. to. <laughs> I mean, again, it's like the fact that, that we're having this conversation, the fact that these counts are now like out in public, mm -hmm. it's going to, I think, rattle a bunch of people out of their sort of like whatever stupor of like, or even resting on the laurels of what this amazing thing that we'd created, right? And being mm -hmm. like, hey, if we don't stay true to the game, if we don't get out there on the street, if we don't like keep creating and pushing on this bike culture, it's not something we can just take for granted. And I think Portland, in a lot of ways, not just people on the street, but people in City Hall did take this amazing, amazing cycling scene that we have here in the city, took it for granted. And I'm hopeful now that they're not going to make that mistake again. And when we rebuild it back, it's going to be better than it was before because what well, we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot of lessons and we can do it bigger and better. You got me all, I got like chills, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's what we're doing. That's it, that's it. Part of me is just like, interview done. That was it. Like that, hey, <laughs> you explained your, your show, point. It's your show, Claudia. <laughs> well, thank you, Jonathan, for taking the time. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for asking. I appreciate it. And now for your microdose of news. On Friday, police responded to 11 overdoses within a 12-hour period. Three people ended up dying. 
All these incidents took place downtown, many in or around the Washington Center. Now, that's the area Willamette Week recently reported is now home to an open-air drug market. The abandoned block and disintegrating commercial properties are all controlled by the Menashe real estate family. And if you want to hear more on this family and the backstory of how this open-air drug market came to be, check out our Friday episode, Downtown Fentanyl Markets, Roadkill Dinners, and Summer Music Festivals. And Oregon has lifted all of its remaining COVID-19 workplace safety rules, including mask requirements in healthcare settings. The Oregonian reports that starting Monday of this week, Oregonians would no longer have to wear masks in hospitals, at doctor's offices, or waiting rooms. Healthcare providers are also no longer required to wear masks at work. Of course, anyone can still wear them if they prefer. For even more local news and events, sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Portland. We'll throw a link in the show notes. That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. 